Jenna. And I'm Sam. And you're listening to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. So welcome back to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Today we're here with Sarah Swanson and Sarah's been with the Cincinnati Zoo for 20 years and Sarah is the team leader for the Interpretive Collection. Welcome Sarah. Hi, thanks for having me. Thanks, thanks for coming. For being here. How are you? I'm doing great. How are you guys? Doing well. Good. So tell us about the Interpretive Collection here at the Cincinnati Zoo. So our interpretive collection uh, consists of all of our ambassador animals. Any of our animals that do on-grounds or off-grounds visitor engagement, they travel to schools and community centers, and you may see them as you walk around the park on your next visit. So what type of animals are these that do the visitor engagement experiences? Oh my gosh, we have so many different species. We have around 200 individual animals and that makes up about 75 species and that ranges from arthropods and amphibians reptiles birds mammals we've got it all <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing so you have a very broad width of animal diversity within your collection and family that you work with yeah for sure we have a lot of different animals from all around the world uh, that help us communicate with our uh, guests and students that come to the zoo and help them connect and make that curriculum come alive. That's really cool. And one of those is one of the most popular animals in the entire zoo being the sloth, specifically Mo. I don't know if lightning's caught on to the popularity <laughs> quite yet. I'm sure she has. Um, so there are opportunities to learn about the sloths and meet the sloths and can you tell us a little bit about them and their personalities? We know everyone loves them. Yeah, so Mo has been here since 2006 and he will be, I think he's going to be 21 this year. Wow. Uh, so he's sort of middle-aged for a sloth that's in human care and then Lightning uh, just turns six years old. Or seven and she was born at uh, a zoo in Texas and was immediately part of the AZA species survival plan and then was transferred to Cincinnati um, late last year and has been getting to know Mo ever since. So how's it going? Well it was a little touch and go at first. <laughs> <laughs> I think it took them a minute to warm up to each other but we've had reports the last few nights that they've become fast friends. Ooh, and right. There may have been some breeding. That's okay. exciting. Well, fingers crossed there. Right. So, so how far in the future, if there was this <clears throat> breeding, can we expect a sloth baby if there is a potential potential pregnancy? Well, that's a good, very good <laughs> question. Because there is so much uh, we don't know about sloths, and there are lots of different uh, gestation numbers that are out there written, and some say like 9 to 10, some will say almost 12, some say 6. Wow. So it's a really large range. I'm, I'm thinking probably around 9 to 10, but we'll find out for sure. <laughs> so anywhere from half a year to a year, you can expect... I mean, that's really cool. You guys will get to see because you've been paying attention to these breeding uh, behaviors and we'll be able to track well, if we do, when, if we do see a baby, how long the gestation actually was. 
And I have a question. Do they breed in the trees or on, do they come to the ground? They do breed up in the air. That sounds kind of dangerous. (laughs) So um, I think someone named it the Auntie Anne on my team because it's like a pretzel when you see it. That's a good one. It's a little sponsorship money. Um, But it's, it's, yeah, it's an acrobatic breeding and it happens super fast though. So uh, when the female is open and receptive to it, she'll go through an estrus and she'll be uh, really seeking out the male for a few days and she'll be putting off pheromones and things like that and, and leaving scent marks all over the exhibit. And then uh, Mo will be tracking her and he'll know it's time. Can I? Can I'm I, glad I, to be a human. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes. <laughs> Can I just ask what that process was like for you and your team? I mean, is there a first date? I mean, how do you, you know, when you have a um, animal that is recommended to be paired up with another animal, how do you go about that process? Right. So sloths are typically solitary in the wild and males will travel from one female to another and just kind of make their way through a larger range and females have a little bit smaller home range that they all overlap, but uh, the male will, will remain solitary, the female will remain solitary until they're ready to breed. They'll breed, if the female gives birth, then the pup will be with her for up to 12 months. But, so in human care, it's a little bit different because we're creating an artificial situation and we're kind of hoping for the best. So we do it as, easy as possible and stress-free as possible for the animals. So we put them in two separate habitats right next to each other and they were behind the scenes so they had a lot of privacy and there was a clear uh, howdy door. So there's a little window they could look at each other, they could smell each other and see each other and hear each other if they were going to vocalize. But then you just kind of have to go for it one day and open the door and see what happens. And sometimes they don't get along right away. I think that they were both very curious about each other in the beginning. But lightning uh, is an enormous sloth (laughs) and very intimidating to Mo because she likes to explore and kind of communicate with him with her sharp claws and her sharp teeth. And that was very intimidating to Mo. A lot of people probably don't think that sloths have sharp claws or sharp teeth. So that can be a little bit surprising, I'm sure, because they look so gentle and everyone, you know, thinks they're just so, so cute, but they can defend themselves. Oh yeah, that's their primary way of defending themselves is they have, uh, two-toed sloths have uh, very sharp, large, false canines, and uh, they also have very sharp claws. And then three-toed sloths, they have, um, they don't have the large false canines, they just have really sharp claws, but they will slash and hiss. I mean, they'll try to get away from a threat if possible, but if they are feeling trapped because they can't um, 
move through the trees as easily as a monkey could. They have to make sure that the next branch they're putting a foot on is stable enough to hold their weight. And that doesn't always work out for them, but for the most part, they have to be much more careful. So they will defend themselves if necessary. Do they have many predators in the wild? In the wild, uh, there are harpy eagles and other large birds of prey, depending on the size of the sloth. There are jaguars, ocelots, um, other small cats, uh, but their biggest threat right now are humans. Of course. Unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> in different parts of Central and South America, there's different issues related to humans. Some have to do with uh, like ecotourism, which is wonderful that people want to travel to countries outside of their country and learn about the animals and all that. But in order to get people there, there has to be infrastructure. So there have to be roads and buildings and power lines and things like that. And that all is a big threat to an animal like a sloth because the power lines are perfect for them to grab onto, but they're not always insulated. Yeah. So they can become electrocuted. And then roads are bisecting their forest and they can't get from one section to the other without going to the ground or getting onto a live wire. So that's a threat. And then in other parts of South America, there's unfortunately still a lot of slashing and burning and creating uh, land for cattle and other uh, plantations. Is palm oil an issue in South America now? I thought it. It is. Yeah. Um, so there's it's taking over in Costa Rica. There is a huge palm oil plantation. I mean, I'm sure there's more than one, um, but I know of one specifically down near the Manuel Antonio area that we visit, and uh, it was interesting to see the first time I was there. I, I thought. A lot about, you know, there's a big push in the U.S., especially people who are like-minded like us, to eliminate uh, palm oil from your diet or get, you know, only use sustainable palm oil and things like that. But when you're down there and you see the people who are actually working the palm oil plantation, they are, they have nothing. They are extremely poor and live a very simple life and... It's it, then it, it's it becomes a different issue to you. It's not just a matter of I'm not going to eat palm oil. It's really simple. You no, know, now it's complicated because this provides these folks a livelihood. And in some cases, the palm oil plantations and the coffee plantations and things like that are the only things in miles and miles for someone to work and get money. It's so tough. Yeah, and so you <laughs> Very mentioned layered. that. You've been down there, you've been to Costa Rica, and we partner with a um, institution down in Costa Rica, actually the Sloth Institute of Costa Rica. Right. And can you tell us a little bit about this partnership that we have with them? Yeah, so uh, the Sloth Institute was founded by Sam Troll, and uh, she is an expat from the US. She first fell in love with uh, primates and she worked at Duke Lemur Center. And she has traveled all over the world and she fell in love with sloths. And those are her animals. <laughs> that is her calling in life. And so when she was in Costa Rica, she was working at a different organization and she decided to found the Sloth Institute of Costa Rica. And we met Sam in 2014 when she was here in the area doing a talk. And ever since then, we've been 
good friends, big supporters. We've worked hard to secure funding for radio callers. Uh, and the big, the big thing that we love about SAM and the Sloth Institute is not only are they rehabbing and releasing animals in Costa Rica, they are then studying them to help provide further information about the ecology of the whole ecosystem in that area. And they are finding some very interesting things. And so it's we, we love hearing the information, seeing them figure out what the best way is to raise and release a sloth and, uh, and, and keep learning every single day. So yes, I've been very blessed to go down several times uh, and visit with them and work with them. That sounds amazing. You get to work with them and be in Costa Rica. I went to right. Manuel Antonio for my honeymoon and I saw wild sloths. It was amazing. I highly recommend it. Of course, you want to be responsible while you're there, but what kind of, are they taking in orphans or are sloths being hit by cars or are they helping with electrocutions? How, how do they help? So it's a little bit of everything. Um, if there's an, They've actually partnered with an organization called Toucan Rescue Ranch, and Toucan Rescue Ranch is based out of San Jose, and they um, are typically hand-rearing most of the very young sloths that, uh, like the parent, the, mo the mother's killed, or um, people will sometimes find a baby on the ground, and they don't know where the mother is, because for an animal like that, if the baby falls off or whatever, something happens and it falls to the ground, the mother, for it to go all the way to the ground to, quote, save the baby, it would uh, put her life in jeopardy. So they often just leave the baby wow. and um, move on because there's too many threats and it's just it's worth it more for them to go and reproduce again so they are hand raising orphans they are um, taking care of electrocutions there's a lot of issues with uh, feral dogs in costa rica so there's a lot of dog attacks when they come when the sloths come down to go to the bathroom or cross the road uh, they're really vulnerable so they're helping with all of that. And they have an amazing network of people in Costa Rica. The last time we were there, they were doing acupuncture on one of the slots wow. at the local at a local chiropractor's office. So this gentleman treats humans. And we walked in there with two slots and he was so happy to see us. And he did his uh, acupuncture with them. And this was on a slot that had been electrocuted and lost um, complete use of its right arm and through all the therapy it regained its right arm and was able to be released wow. so that is amazing to me um, they can survive with three legs wow. fine but they're like let's give it a shot and see if this works and it worked and then they were able to release her yeah wow. it was really awesome Somewhere out there, there's somebody listening that's thinking about going in between human medicine and animal medicine, <laughs> and they just found their calling. Yes, we need the middleman. You know, there's some uh, physical therapists working right. with animals. That's kind of a new thing because, one, animals need our help more than ever these days, but also people are seeming to care more at the same time, too, or being willing 
to do more and that's amazing that they'll take sloths to a human acupuncturist and, and find results or get results. That's pretty incredible. So yeah. you, you did mention that when the sloths come down to go to the bathroom, they are vulnerable. So they do come to the ground to go to the, to the bathroom and can you tell everyone how often that is? Uh, well, it depends on the individual, like humans, <laughs> um, but in general, it's usually every seven to 10 days, they all go to the bathroom. So they're able to hold, um, about 20 to 30% of their body weight and urine and feces in their body. They have an extremely slow metabolism. What they eat today will take them three or four weeks to digest. And their stomach is usually always half to two thirds full of food. It's really hard to motivate a sloth with food. Um, so yeah, so then they have a slow metabolism. It helps um, with their slow life, but it's all a result of the food they eat. The food they eat has very low nutritional value. And so it has to stay in the gut longer so they can absorb as many nutrients as possible and then um, excrete it by coming to the ground. Now, why they don't go just up in the tree, I don't know. Um, a sloth, I think I've heard people say in the past that sloths uh, live in one tree their entire life, and that's just not true. They move from tree to tree. They, depending on the climate, there are dry seasons and wet seasons, and all the foliage might fall off like we have here in Ohio, and then they have to go find another tree to eat and they eat a large variety of um fruits and leaves so, okay yeah i was going to have you talk about a little bit about diets do mo and lightning have favorite foods yeah so here at the zoo uh they get uh, a variety of fruits and vegetables mo loves corn on the cob <laughs> like none of this what he would find in the wild of course <laughs> corn on the cob um he loves red grapes and hard-boiled egg Plums. Um, lightning likes uh, blackberries and banana, and she gets like a special um, nutritionally complete diet that our zoo makes, and she likes that as well. So it's interesting they have different favorites, <laughs> like very yeah. clear yeah. favorites. Now, would sloths find bird eggs or eat any sort of protein, or are they? Omnivorous in any way in the wild. So in general, they're er, they're they're herbivores. But if they come across something, um, they will. Okay. A lot of like a lot of herbivorous animals right. will if they have a re, if they are able to get a protein source, they will take advantage of it. That makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> and if you've never seen Mo eat corn on the cob, it's something that you need to see. That's like zoo bucket list added on there because he just like chows down like it's a nice summer dinner. And then it's funny because he like, he holds it and then he kind of just chucks it out the truck. He's like, <laughs> we need to get I'm a video done. of that. Yeah, yeah he's Watch better at eating know. corn on the cob than I am. <laughs> That's so funny. Oh my gosh. So I know you guys actually do tours here where you can come and meet the sloths. Will you, Sam can also speak to yeah. this. Uh, Sam helps out with those tours. Can you guys tell us about that and where the money goes? Right. So we do behind the scenes encounters with Mo. They are semi-private. You can uh, book one to six 
slots at a time. He does two to three tours a week and guests get to come up and interact with him personally. Uh, he always has a choice to come down out of his exhibit or not. And if he chooses to stay up in his habitat, we allow guests to feed him with a special pole. But if he chooses to come down, then uh, we get to go into a private space and he has this really awesome jungle gym that he gets to climb around on. And guests are able to um, feel his fur on his back and how magical and luxurious <laughs> it is. It's so gorgeous. Um, and they can take all the selfies they want with him. <laughs> because Mo is... Uh, conditioned to it. He's comfortable with it. He's been in human care nearly his entire life. So he is not stressed being around um, guests. I often talk about how Fiona is an ambassador for hippos and she has a job to do. Mm -hmm. So this is Mo's job is to meet people and I don't think it, we need it much for sloths. I think they are very well loved, but he can inspire people to care about them and potentially go and start their own sloth institute and and try and save them so i think it's really important to remember that um the animals here obviously are well taken care of and loved so much but we do believe they have even an even bigger purpose than just being here for for us so what would you say sam is like some of the best reactions or your favorite part about the tours <laughs> or it, though so when mode so Sarah had a good point of it's always the animal's choice to when they want to choose how they would like to participate so Mo can always choose to climb down or stay up in the tree um, and then when he does climb down when he we take him to this private room my favorite reaction is when we open this door to the guests that are here for this experience and then all of a sudden there is this sloth that's hanging ready to greet them <laughs> and it's just this like they just won the publishing clearinghouse lottery or something. And it's like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm seeing this sloth. And I mean, that reaction is what makes it everything worth yeah. it. You know, it's just, you, you get that, wow, they're meeting this animal. They're having this connection with it. And you can see, you know, just the joy in their heart when they, when they see Mo. Do you have more criers at a sloth tour or a hippo tour? I have the most criers at the sloth tour. <laughs> Hands down, yes. This isn't a competition, Jenna, but Except I, it, I will say I, I really feel either. like it is in my heart <laughs> because we are always, we used to be competing with Elephant House. Mm -hmm. I always felt like we were competing with Elephant House and then we surpassed them and I was like, yeah. <laughs> and then Fiona came along and blew us way out of the water. But I think I think sloths are right in there. Yeah, yes. they're right up there. Mo is really well loved. He has fans all over the country, um, maybe the world. I don't know. Fiona's got a few more, but <laughs> can you just imagine? You know, the Mo fandom. If he becomes a dad, right. I just oh, I'm trying gosh. to wrap my head around that. I know that we have a waiting list of a bunch of people that just can't wait to come in and meet Mo and. If there was a baby to add into the mix, they can just imagine, you know, I feel like it would be on the Fiona scale. <laughs> would Mo get to stick around his baby? Do the moms go away? And, and so therefore Mo would also? How would that? Yeah, so typically they just have the babies on their own and the males are not in the picture. Uh, but I don't know. We'd have to kind of see how it is. This uh, would be the first baby for lightning. So there's a lot of 
ifs that come with that and if she's gonna know what to do and all that kind of stuff but Mo is really a pretty docile animal in general so I think we would try to keep the family together if possible um, because I think he wouldn't care but we were always watching the animals closely. of course yes yeah cool so Jenna I think this is time that you, you ask the famous question. <laughs> My favorite part. Here it is. Okay, Sarah. So what can I do? What can lis listeners do in order to be better stewards of the earth? What is your tip? What is their action item for you? Oh my gosh, you? Jenna. I am so glad you asked that <laughs> Before, you mentioned that you have been on vacation in Costa Rica. And I talked about how we do sloth selfies with Mo. But in general, I would really recommend, and in all seriousness, when you are visiting another country, especially if you're on like a safari or a tour, that you keep your distance from the animals. And that's for your safety, that's for the animal safety, but there's an epidemic of sloth selfies in Central and South America. And unfortunately, a sloth, does not always express stress by um, visibly biting or slashing or something like that. Sometimes they internalize all that stress. And so I wouldn't want to cause any stress to an animal as I'm sure many people would not either. And they should uh, just take their pictures from afar and love the animals through a pair of binoculars or spotting scope and just be so excited that they've been able to peek in on their lives. I think that's such a great tip. And I think that, again, I mentioned that animals in zoos are here for a reason, to inspire people to hopefully care about the ones in the wild that they most likely won't get to see in the wild. So if you have that amazing opportunity to see a sloth in the wild or any animal, just take it in. Yeah, take your picture from afar and then just enjoy it. And I think, you mentioned being a responsible tourist and, and keeping your distance when necessary is such great advice. And we get it. We I would want to take a selfie with a sloth in the yeah. wild also, but you, you, know, you always have to think of what's best for the animal. Right. Yes, and we're not here to shame. If you've done it, I'm not here <laughs> to get you. No, it's all about education and just being able to do your research and knowing what are the best practices when viewing and you know, having these experiences as well. Is the Sloth Institute somewhere that people can visit? Is it open to the public where it would be a so, smart choice? Uh, you can get a tour with the Sloth Institute if you stay at a particular resort in Costa Rica called Tulumar. Uh, they have um, beautiful homes and bungalows and things like that. And so if you stay on the property, then you can do a tour and they'll show you all the sloths on the property, they'll show you, you'll get to see lots of birds and reptiles and all kinds of different things. Um, but they, uh, that's the only way you can talk with the Sloth Institute unless you go online and they're always happy to chat online. Well, that's great because it gives you, it kind of keeps, you know, too many people right. away. It's not too simple, but also it is a responsible way that if you care enough, you would, you can find a way to see a sloth and see what they're doing there. So yes, that sounds great. Well, thank you so much yeah, for thanks, being Sarah. here. Thanks for having me. Is there anything else you'd like to tell us or did we ask you enough? <laughs>
You had great information. We really appreciate you being here. Yeah, I hope when you're back here, you know, in six, seven, eight, whenever the baby, oh, you know, yeah. if we we'll do have, have a baby, oh, yeah. <laughs> you know, bring the baby along with What's you. What's a baby sloth called? I was going to pull it up. Pup. Okay, pup. I was going to say, we need a pup we date. Pup, pup. Oh, yeah. I love it. <laughs> great. Yeah. Cool. Well, thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, thanks for Sarah. having me. Thanks, everybody, for listening to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. Have a great day. Thanks again for tuning in to Cincinnati Zoo Tales. If you are interested in any of the experiences Sarah talked about today, check us out online at cincinnatizoo.org to see our experiences. The sloth behind the scenes tours proceeds goes directly to support the animals in our care, as well as their wild counterparts at the Sloth Institute.